I'm Frederick Gerten in Malmö, Sweden. I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha in Ottawa, Canada. And I'm the advocate. That's how it rolls. <laughs> and today, <laughs> it's Airbnb, from friend to enemy, or from love to hate. Mm. Is that a good title? The second no? one, love to hate. That's too harsh. We don't want to hate. We want to bring them along or something, but not hate. No, but... but but I mean, that's something you, I mean, if you listen to people out around in cities around the world, a lot of people are actually started to hate some, something that we actually loved in the beginning. True. I think that's true. It covers something. So this is our third episode. Uh, the first one, we talked about the monster. Yep. And the monster as the, this big cloud of investors that are invading buying up our city invading our cities and turning our homes into into rent producing units correct financial instruments exactly and last week we talked about why are people so angry why are people so mm -hmm. angry well lots of reasons mainly because of the monster and the monster's brothers yeah. <laughs> causing also maybe it. how yeah, also uh, partly because how the, and this is something we really learned while doing the, the documentary film Push, where Leilani Farah is the main character. Leilani was the UN Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing. Now she stepped down, but she actually stepped up to be the global director of The Shift, which is a, an association that is also taking on financialization of housing right. on a global scale. That's right. A lot of member cities coming in, and it's really an interesting thing to follow. Um, people are angry, and and they because the when they solve the financial crisis, they actually instead of helping the homeowners, they gave them money to the financial players, and they took over. They could buy all these undervaluated assets undervaluated assets for them they call it for us it's our homes our houses where people live so that's that is something that is has been shaking the world and it's shaking shakes the world extra much right mm -hmm. now during the covid crisis the, the last financial crisis were so we're right now in a new one was in 2008 uh, just one year before there was some guys in san francisco three guys that's right uh, tell me about them Brian, Nathan, and Joe, three guys in San Francisco who were part of the gig economy. They were, you know, having short-term contract jobs and having a really tough time living in San Francisco and paying their rent. And they were trying to figure out, you know, how to make ends meet. There was a big conference, I can't remember what it was, but a big conference bringing in tons of people from outside into San Francisco. And these three guys thought, hey, we have an apartment and we have an air mattress for camping. Why don't we blow up that air mattress and rent it out while people are in the city, you know, looking for hotel rooms, etc. Uh, so they did that and they charged 80 bucks a night. And I think they had, I don't know, three people. And that began the story of what was called Air Bed and Breakfast and is now known as Airbnb. So it was a simple idea to make money to help them, these guys pay their rent. They were recently graduates from design school, actually. So, yeah, so cool, cool art students, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and now I, I saw that this Brian Chesky, yep. he's, now, he's now worth $3.1 billion. There you go. And so it's been 
quite a good ride for yeah. Brian. Born, born in 1981. So he's, he's, he's been doing fine. And we've been reading all of these success stories because we love success stories. <laughs> Absolutely. We really love them. The only problem is that there is like another side to the, to the coin. You know? and, and this is something we met when, by, well, you know, working on Push. And of course, you also in your, your work, we've seen it. But I mean, I, I have, you know, when Airbnb came, mm. I was so happy. My first day was at a home in Los Feliz in Los Angeles when I was shooting a film called Big Boys Gone Bananas. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was an actor's couple. Uh, they were renting out their, the unit. They were going to Vermont to visit her parents for two weeks. And, and we met them. And they were, well, we're leaving now, but you take, if you, there's wine. Right. Here is like the... the, the the fridge was full of food. Yeah. It was really nice. We really came to a home and it was such a good feeling. Why were they renting? Why were they renting it out? Because, I mean, they, were, I mean, they, they needed the money yeah. or they could make some extra money while they were away for two right. weeks. But, it, they, you know, it was like just... So it wasn't really a business. It was something that could help them a little right. bit. And I stayed, at, you know, in Paris at some small flat. You really came into the neighborhood. It's like it's such a good feeling of feeling that you are actually part of a neighborhood. You go to the market, you buy your own food, Absolutely. you know, and you, you cook in a home and there is everything. There is olive oil. You know, if you have in a hotel with a, some kind of a, a kitchenette, there's never yeah. anything. So it's, it's so hard to cook. But if you come to a functioning home, you have salt and pepper, you have all the, yeah. the different herbs, you know, it's like it's, 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 it's a very cool thing. So, so I, I mean, I, I really loved Airbnb when, mm. it, when it came. But then, I, I, you know, just a few years later, I was suddenly somewhere, I think in Italy, Rome or mm. so, also for a, a, a job. And I noticed that the apartment was totally empty. There was nothing. There was nobody living there. So you could feel that this was kind of quite quick. It turned into a, a business. That's right. I think, too, when it first started, I could be wrong, but some of those people who were renting out an extra room in their apartment or going away for two weeks and renting to you, I think there was a, a pride in city. So the person felt good about their own city and wanted to share that side of the city with a newcomer, a tourist, etc. Mm. And I do think that that has changed entirely. Um, but I, I think, I mean, I, I hope I'm not romanticizing how it, ori- how it originated. Uh, but it seemed to me that there was some sense of, um, like in your case, the actors, you know, renting out their place to a director, you know, a documentary film director, there's something super nice about that and not business transaction, you know? We were just sitting and, and had a glass of wine and talked about films and, you know, and, I mean, it was pretty yeah. nice. So then when we met in Toronto when mm. shooting Push, well, like the very first steps in the making of that film, I think a day or two before you arrived to Toronto, uh, uh, I saw in a newspaper that was going to be a manifestation in Kensington Market. Kensington Market is a very iconic yeah. Toronto neighborhood where like it's a old Latino market place, like a lot of small restaurants and bars. And it's funky, mm-hmm. hippie-ish. Yep. 
secondhand clothing uh, nice, stores, groovy little yeah, cafes. a nice place yeah. to be. And there's and also a fighting community that Definitely. actually tries to defend the values of of the market. Yeah. So we were marching with a group of people, uh, with actually with bands playing, and because that they always have music, it's always it's a very good uh, resistance culture around that mm. market. But then we landed in a small alleyway where there was a guy called John Rose. He had an artist space uh, in the basement. And on top of that was a building full of, mm. you know, small rental units where students were living and, you know, young people. And he tells us a story about how the building was taken over and suddenly everything changed. So let's listen to a little clip from from we made for push it didn't make it into mm. this final film but let's let's check it out new owner came and took possession of the building and um, basically started kicking everybody out like very forcefully like what do you and, mean force, um, forcefully the very first day they ever came to the building they were they brought some uh, thug style people and they were breaking locks for the main entrance for the building they were physically pushing their way into people's apartments upstairs. It was their purpose to intimidate and get people to leave? Like what were, what was their... Yeah, I think that is essentially their their entire right. goal. The guy in the hat the is guy the in trespasser. The yep, and see he's running around, he's trying to videotape us, they're lo just looking for anything they can do to... He entered your place? Yes. Yeah. And uh, how did like what he knocked on your door and said yeah, he had like, a key and he opened the door and this is right after they had illegally changed the locks. They changed the locks and then they used their key and enter your yeah. But how did you have a key to the place? I took the lock. Up, I oh, called the locksmith in to make a key that fit the lock. I felt like I was living some story that you hear yeah, about yeah, something yeah. that happens in a third world country. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this is right here yeah. in Toronto where people are very civil. This doesn't fit the world that I live in. All of a sudden now there's going to be 36, right. yeah. there's going to be 36 Airbnb ghost hotel rooms up there. Right. There's nothing wrong with Airbnb if you're sharing your house. But if you've got a bunch of houses or you're kicking entire people out of a neighborhood so that you can run hotels, that's a different thing. Yeah, that was kind of a brutal place, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and I mean this. I, I, imagine that you actually you have a new landlord, and then he he hires thugs to come in and change all the locks, and they were actually successful kicking people out, saying you have to leave. Yeah, they told people this guy John Rose. He fought it mm. in court, so they actually in the end they have to pay him. But it was like he was really traumatized by this fight. So it's. It's not easy because they were also uh, tough people. I, I mean, I've heard lots of stories, too, in Toronto of just everyday tenants being told by the landlord that the landlord wants to use their unit for personal use. You can evict someone for personal use. So then they evict for personal use. But in fact, they're in, the intention is to use the unit or many units for Airbnb. So this relationship between tenancy eviction and Airbnb is really a very close relationship and obviously hugely traumatic. John Rose, when I was interviewing him, I mean, he was traumatized by this. It had deeply affected him, obviously. And it, it wasn't just his, 
his place to live. It was also where he was, he's an artist and he was creating in that space. And so, I mean, his entire life would have changed if he had to move from that place. And for what? In the, in the end, he moved out anyway. But uh, so tell me about Toronto and Airbnb. Mm. What is what is the, the story right now? Well, it's a good news story uh, from the point of view of tenants. Um, so uh, the city wanted to regulate Airbnb. And as is common for Airbnb, they um, pushed back and decided to litigate. Uh, and it has been litigated through. And uh, the regulations of Airbnb... Um, hold. So it will be, it is being regulated in Toronto. Um, There's a certain, you know, number of days, you can't rent out more than a certain number of days uh, per year. I think it's 30 or 60. I'm sorry, can't remember. Um, And uh, they're being regulated. I think there's a list, you know, you they have to be documented. But there are some some really good activists also in Toronto. The the Fair B and B, the Fair mm. B and B movement. They they've been really key in this fight. I think they've been really. Uh, they were absolutely key to it and bringing forward evidence at the hearings, showing you know demonstrating that this was negatively having a negative impact on tenants for sure. Um, so I mean it's a victory, but that's happening around the world actually. When you start digging, where are there regulations about Airbnb? It's everywhere actually. Yeah, but I mean I, I was thinking of when we found out this. I mean we got deeper into the Airbnb realities. It made it hard for me to stay in Airbnb. <laughs> so I found out the only way I could do it, it was to stay in somebody's home. Yes, somebody who was actually living there. So it's. And I was, we were shooting push again when I was back in mm. Toronto and I was living with this guy, you know, and I had to pass his bedroom and down <laughs> a stair before going to the toilet. You know, it was like, of course, it's not so comfortable, but I mean, it's still much cheaper than to, to stay in hotels. And, you know, we are low budget people, yes. so it's not yes. easy. And I guess for you, <laughs> you, all, you were somewhere in Vancouver and your assistant, not you, had gotten you an Airbnb. That's correct. Yes. In fact, I mean, it's an interesting story. It was the first, it, I was out in Vancouver and I was researching the financialization of housing. I, it was before I'd written my report, before I really knew anything, I went out to Vancouver. There was a big conference going on. All the academics and thinkers on financialization were there. So I went there so I could meet with them all. And my assistant, we had a line item in our budget. You know, we had X number of dollars per night for a hotel. She could not find a single hotel in a location that was proximate, you know, to where my interviews were. So she booked me an Airbnb. And uh, I actually spoke with the fellow who was renting out the Airbnb. And by this time, he w- it was his business. It was how he was making his entire income. So he was buying, and this is where we get into one of the more negative aspects of Airbnb. He was buying up what he called B-grade. It's like undervalued properties, properties that need to be fixed up. So he would buy them, fix them up, and then just rent them out as Airbnb. And why that's bad is he's eating into what could be affordable housing or at least rental housing for people who actually live in the city on a long-term basis. And you start seeing now studies coming out that there's no doubt Airbnb eats up long-term housing options. And we have a housing crisis. We need those long-term options. So from my perspective, that's a a big problem. But it's interesting that, I mean, 
uh, Airbnb went from being this kind of charming new kid on the block to this really big, arrogant guy. And when cities started to find out that Airbnb was actually causing problems, because suddenly there was like 25% and more of the, the rental stock in many cities, like in the bigger tourist cities, it was suddenly a huge problem. Mm -hmm. I know, I mean, Palma de Mallorca in Spain, uh, it's like an island. So the, the people working at the restaurants, hotels, and so on, they, they had nowhere to stay in the end. So it, they actually had to ban all short-term rentals because it was... So it, it became quite quick, a huge crisis in, in cities. But what did... So when the cities approached Airbnb, what did they do? Well, they were sending their lawyers after them. Mm -hmm. So these charming guys were suddenly not as charming as they were in the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, when I read the story of Airbnb, I think it's an interesting story. I mean... Maybe I'm too generous or something, but I sometimes wonder if the business model wasn't imposed on them to some degree. I don't know. I mean, they were looking for investors and it took them many years. It didn't happen overnight, actually. I think it took them four, four years or so before they started to get any interest. And, that you know, they had to play by certain rules and not maybe their own rules at the outset to get investors to invest in their company. And then it started to be really heavy investors, huge, they angel investors, huge investors. So maybe that had something to do with the business model that evolved. Mm, so the poor, the poor design students were forced <laughs> to sell their souls. I don't know about forced. And now but... they, they end up being net worth 3.1 billion. Mm. This, the one they could do yeah. without. And their business, their business, I mean, is valued at billions and billions, but... It's kind of a good business. But now, the, the world is actually now fighting back. When we've, we've been around, we've been meeting a lot of mayors, a lot of, big, a lot of local people, and almost everywhere people have been saying, what are you going to do with Airbnb? They are like killing my town. Mm -hmm. It's been the story we've heard from city to city to city. Not only big cities. I mean, there's been big stories now of, of Venice, for example. Venice says, you know, we want to be a town. Venice had like 150,000 inhabitants, suddenly down to 50,000. You know, 100,000 people are out. And now when, now when the crisis is on, people kind of feel, wow, this, we get our town back. But still, most of these properties are in the hands of, of, uh, of investors from everywhere um there was a good story coming up right now and it's amsterdam mm. the city of canals yes. the mayor a female mayor she really came out with a strong hit on airbnb she's banning all short terms in the canal districts in the center of town so and it's not only going after the the rentals also the shops because she said we want people to come and visit a city of people. Yeah. yeah. We don't want people to come to an amusement mm. park. Our city has been turned into something we don't want it mm. to be. So Amsterdam is actually going after also shops, tourist shops. And, and this is happening also in, in Venice. They want, because when there are too many tourists, the local shops don't, they lose their clients. That's right. That's right. So in the, in the end, you can't buy your bread. You can't, or whatever you can buy will be priced for tourists mm. and the locals can't afford mm. it. A, 
I mean, I think Amsterdam is an interesting case, too, because I think they originally were regulating Airbnb the same as some other cities, you know, you can't rent out more than 30 days. And they were still finding something like one in 15 homes in Amsterdam were Airbnb. So then they took this further measure, the mayor took this further measure of actually banning in certain districts in the in the center. And I think that's really interesting. In other words, some simple regulations may not be enough and and you know so she had to take this this further step and you you've already mentioned a few other places where banning had to be done yeah. to preserve the city and, yeah. and life life in the city for local residents yeah. and you saw that there also they also have a fine in Amsterdam yes. if you break the rules and that is 20,000 euros yeah. yeah so it's 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 expensive and it's and they are banning they are banning in the center now, but so, so you can still do Airbnb outside in the bigger circuit, but it's only for thirty days That's a right. year. That's right, heavily regulated. So then, yeah. so then you're down to what I met in the beginning. We are going on holiday. Let's rent our home out so we can yeah. get some extra yeah. money, which is kind of that's fair B and B, I would say. And I like what the mayor said because she said. And we're going to keep our eye on these other districts. And if we have to ban in other districts, we'll ban in other districts. So if if the mm. regulations don't work in those districts outside of the center, then she's ready to continue with her ban. So it's a very mm. strong position she's adopted, and it's obviously very protective of of local residents, which is which is yeah. I think what a mayor's role is, in fact. And I mean, for me as an advocate on the right to housing. This raises a lot of human rights issues around, you know, should people be pushed out of their homes for temporary accommodation? Should housing stock be used for temporary accommodation and not for long-term rentals? You know, these are, for me, the, the these are human rights questions, actually. Um, and you are the advocate. I'm the advocate, <laughs> yeah. But one thing we didn't really... T- yeah you know, talk about when when you look, there's an irony in the Airbnb model, of course, because it started with these guys trying to pay their own rent and using this model Mm. to pay their own rent. And now they've created a business that is making rents unaffordable in some cities that it's shown um, in New York and London, for example, the pressure that Airbnb puts on the entire market. Um, But also, the fact is that it's no longer just like the average person, right, who's renting out the room in their home. There are major investors involved in this buying or renting huge number of units. And they're the top earners of, at Airbnb. It's it's not the mom and pop who are renting out their room. They're the lower earners. The big earners in this are the are the ones who are investing a lot of money buying up a lot of units or renting out a lot of units. That's true. That's true. And we, when we were in, in Barcelona, you were there as a UN mm. Special Rapporteur and you were meeting with the mayor of, of uh, Barcelona, yeah. Colau, and there was also, like the first meeting, really putting off your initiative, the yep. shift. And then there was lunch with the mayor and you actually asked her a question about how do Blackstone and, and the Airbnbs react mm. when when the city is getting tough on them. Let's listen to, to Ada. I'm interested to know how the investors, the vulture funds, the hedge funds, 
Airbnb are reacting to what you're doing. Airbnb fue primero reaccionó muy muy duro, ¿no? Muy agresivo porque no soportan la idea de que les digan que les van a regular. There are some some groups acting like authentic mafias right now. So there is um, Leilani says uh, Ada Colau says that uh, that Airbnb they really don't like to be regulated. That's right. So this so that was like the first reaction. It actually became a legal war between the city and and Airbnb and that's also a global pattern. Airbnb has been in legal yes. battles with other cities. But the mayor of Barcelona teamed up with the mayor of London and the mayor of Paris and then they together could be a little bit stronger opposition towards Airbnb. Airbnb were suddenly forced to share the information about uh, the people, you know, renting out their, their homes and so on. So so they got more information and it a little bit stronger, but it, it took them some time and they actually threatened them with a big fine. Mm -hmm. In the end, they, they settled with them. Um, but, 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 But this, then we hear a deputy mayor. He's saying about they act like, like real thugs. thugs. Yeah, <laughs> and this is like the pattern we have from Toronto. You know, the thugs go from one side, and then what we saw in the building in Barcelona, there was only one tenant left in the building, very close to La Ramblas in the middle mm. of town. So they've been kicking out every tenant. People have been living there for for ages. They were kicking them out a very rundown street. Mm. But where poor people were living. And now it was all about to be an Airbnb hotel. So it's, 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 it was, so this is like a story we've seen of, of really, this, there's so much money into it, so it also becomes aggressive. Yeah. Aggressive in a mm. new way, and that's it's a, it's a bit. The, scary. the fellow we met in Barcelona, who was the only guy still and his family living in this building that really had been purchased to be converted into a short-term rental. I mean, the only reason he was able to stay there, this is interesting to me, is that he had a longer-term lease. So his lease was, let's say, five years long, and he was at the beginning of it in year two, and so he could use the lease to keep himself there, which suggests to me um, that there's a real role for um, some kind of other tenant protections. Besides regulating Airbnb, there is probably some role. Um, he also had the protection of an activist group called PAT. That's right. Very strong which group. Which is a very a very strong group in Spain that, that fights uh, evictions. Uh, people getting evictions of people, yeah which has been a big story in Spain. It still is. It's yeah. still, people still get kicked, kicked out of their yes. homes. That homes that they lost to the banks after the, the last financial crisis. That's right. Um, very close to Barcelona, on the other side of the peninsula, we have Lisbon. Yes, I was wondering I if was you might this... mention Lisbon. <laughs> yeah, and you were there early on as a, as a UN Special Rapporteur making an official mission to Portugal. Yes. And, and I was there actually for... A, for a birthday party last mm. summer and and I've been there before and, and now I it felt like walking around in a in a death kissed city mm. and it's there were so many empty buildings so little of the, lo the local life was gone I've been there before and it was like it was, was so different and it was so depressing right. and and when I talked to to people in town 
it all happened over very few years. Mm -hmm. The driving factor was, of course, uh, something that you looked into, the, the golden visa. So Portugal, after, to help them out of the financial crisis, they invited global capital to the city. And they did it by offering people um, citizenship. That's right. Or at least, uh, yeah. yeah. So with some money, you can be a citizen and you enter into Europe. Yeah. The, the only problem with that was that you they came to invite a lot of criminal money from Brazil, from Africa, mm. from Russia, from China. And these guys, they went to buy houses, properties. And there was, I mean, there was one story I was told about. There was one big building. There was one old lady staying mm. there. It was a Chinese businessman who bought the building. And this old lady refused to move. Yeah. And then they... That they they hired some thugs, and they burned down the house. Terrible. And the lady died. Oh my god! And um, luckily, uh, the perpetrators got caught, mm. and both they and uh, the investor were jailed mm. for 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 a long time, which is good. But it's horrible. Yeah, terrible. The, uh, like th this this extremely aggress aggressive. Uh, uh, energy. Yeah. No, and when I was there, that was in 2016. And I mean, it was really clear that Portugal had been told by the regional bank uh, of Europe that it needed to liberalize its housing sector. I mean, it was really very clear. It was one of the terms to uh, of their austerity measures. And the golden visas comes out of that. It's a neoliberal approach. It's liberalize your your housing sector. And so the way that visa program worked is you would get the visa if you invested a certain amount of money into property. There was also an employment side to it. So you could, you know, start a business. No one did that. <laughs> they, when I was there, no, everyone was just going for the visa through property. But what's so sad, so many of the buildings I visited in Lisbon, were being purchased by foreign companies you say chinese i i heard of french companies coming in purchasing right, so it, i mean this money has no flags right. of course yeah, it goes right. yeah, it's yeah. international money global money yeah buying yeah. up the whole building any tenants that are there being evicted but in many of the buildings there were businesses you know the small coffee shop or the small food store mm. and those mm. businesses were being wiped out as well so not just losing homes for people but their livelihood so terrible. Yeah. And this is supposed to be an e help end austerity. It's backwards. Yeah. And this, we've seen the same story in, in, uh, on Cyprus, on Malta, yes. in many other places. Yeah. It's, it's had the same uh, visa incentives yeah. and have with the same kind of uh, devastating effect yeah. for local people. Actually, I, I'm going to read something from a, from a story in The Independent, uh, the, the British uh, newspaper, where Fernando Medina, mm. the mayor of Lisbon, is writing. That's actually a few days ago. So he says that, you know, Lisbon is a town of 500,000 people with, with 4 million visitors a year. So he feels that he needs to turn these Airbnb-style homes into safe rentals. You know, so he really wants to, even to be the city to go in and, you know, and buy out these guys to to get normal people into again into the city again and he said okay well we, we made a lot of money out of of uh, 
of the, the mass tourism, but now we have to turn it around. We, we want the city to be also for essential workers and their families that have been forced out. We want them to come back to the town. Mm. And he want, he want to get the lifeblood of the city back again. So this is exactly what people talk about in Amsterdam. And we heard it from Barcelona. So, it's, so now they're, they're really... And he wants to you know, prioritize affordable housing for the hospital staff, uh, transport workers, teachers, and all these people who have been forced mm-hmm. out. And which also makes me happy. He says that he, he's also going to invest a lot in bike lanes yes. so people can actually can commute uh, to work without using a private car. So it's... There are some good things happening now these mm-hmm. days. Uh, so, a big shout out for the mayor of uh, Lisbon. Yes, I'm, we I'm, have to make sure I'm he becomes part of the shift. Uh, absolutely. I really love it. I think in that article, he, he also talks about the older uh, people who have been um, evicted or pressured with eviction um, so that holiday homes can be put there instead. And he, he said, you know, so we've started a program to ensure they can stay in their homes and that they don't lose their deep rooted ties to the city. I thought that was so nice. And I, I, I agree with that. Obviously, that is human rights compliant. And that that is, in fact, you know, that's their obligation, in fact, to do that. So I'm, I was super happy, super happy to read that. I think it's bold. Cool. You know what? You know what? We've been talking for more than 33 oh minutes, which means that we, we're not... We're, I mean, people say that podcasts shouldn't go on forever. True. And so... Short attention spans. Then, Short attention spans. <laughs> no, I mean, our, I'm sure our audience is like... They have been through worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, we, we try to be good. So now... I know Airbnb. Yeah. I mean, it's not only Airbnb. We, there's also other names of short-term renters. We have uh, Booking. We have uh, Expedia, Expedia yeah. uh, Hotels.com, and yeah. on and on and on and on and on. A lot of local names and so on. But I mean, people still say, I'm, I'm going to my Airbnb. So it's like it's been yes. the, the, the name the of it. Yeah. It is, yeah. But anyway, so Airbnb, the company... Mm-hmm was about to go public. Correct. Now making IPO, as they say in financial lingo, Uh, just before the COVID crisis, they they were evaluated to $31 billion. Some people thought they were even worth $40 billion. And now the poor guys, (laughs) it's not going so good because the COVID crisis and the cities are fighting back. So they might only get, what, $27 billion out of the IPO. So poor guys, they, they, it's like, they, it's, it's time to suffer. For I'm crying. Them. I'm crying I'm, for them. Yes. <laughs> really you were actually sending, you sent me um, a, a Twitter thread the other mm. day uh, with, with an American researcher who'd been, he was looking into some kind of app where you can find uh, rentals That's right. and he checked numbers of rental put up the last seven days yeah. and he could see a trend all over the U.S., not only in big cities, also a lot of small cities, that the number of rentals available were now... It's just... Skyrocketing. Shoots out. Skyrocket, skyrocket. So it's obviously that a lot of Airbnbs and short-terms are now going out to to normal renters. It's, of course, also students and so on that are not going to the universities. There are many different factors. But the, the COVID crisis is a very good moment for cities to fight back, obviously. And and for for normal people to get a home again where they don't have to 
travel for hours. Yep. So absolutely, this is kind of interesting. In London, uh, someone tracked it in the week of March 16th. There was a 45% increase in the number of long-term rental uh, listings. 45% increase. Apparently now you can actually live in London. It's almost affordable. Imagine. That's because of Airbnb. But then I, I read Brian Chesky again, and he says, okay, traveling will not never go back as it was before. Uh, people will not flock into the big tourist capital, so it will be a new trend. Right. So he's already there, so he can see now people will travel more local. So their business is moving out to the countryside, mm. which it might be good. So it might be good, but it's it's uh, he is not crying all the way to the bank. He's he's, he's happy at the bank, <laughs> and. Uh, so they're, they're also changing the business model they, because they can see that cities are fighting back and they have been a part of destroying the cities. But I mean, it's the COVID crisis that changes this. It's not Brian Chesky and his friends who suddenly say, oh, now we are super yes. rich. Now we can start to do good no, stuff. No, there was no awakening. Can be, <laughs> there was not really an awakening. No. And I think, I think if you, I mean, I mean, I could be happy for people who's created this sharing economy, mm. the gig mm. economy. It sounded so beautiful. A lot of people said, you have to make a film about the sharing economy. <laughs> what? But this sharing is like, come on. I love, to, I love the Uber app because it's so practical. You book a taxi in Moscow, in Cape Town, in, in Bogota, in Santiago de Chile, you know, everywhere. But it also takes out money from the local market. So never in history... We have somebody sitting in San Francisco making money of a of a driver in Johannesburg, South Africa. Yeah. So, so it is it is something with this gig economy. Yeah. I mean, we have all these people biking around with with food and the big rucksacks with ugly clothing. You know, suddenly there is somebody in far away who makes money of that sweat. Yeah. No, it's and absolutely. It's, it's, I mean. It's such a misnomer, the sharing economy. Only a certain number of people are benefiting. It's not being shared. We know that Uber drivers don't make enough money to live off of. Uh, we talked about that before. Uber drivers having to live in their cars uh, to make a living, etc. But I have to say I have a particular concern for Airbnb, of course, because my area is human rights and housing is a human right. And it's, and it's recognized as a human right. Governments have signed and ratified fancy treaties saying that they're committed to it as a human right. And so the question is, are governments doing enough to ensure that actors like Airbnb aren't jeopardizing that right? So that's where I sort of, while I have obviously labor concerns around Uber, etc., I have particular human rights concerns around um, Airbnb and, and, and how they're how they're functioning. And it's not to say, I mean, Airbnb actually has done some interesting, good things, sort of social responsibility type things. They've worked with migrants and provided housing for migrants. And they're, they've done some stuff with violent, around violence against women during the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that they uh, don't still need to be regulated to comply with human rights. That's my advocate, <laughs> <laughs> the filmmaker and the advocate. That's like, I like that title. It's, it's a little good. bit funny, but anyway. <laughs> so uh, this was our third podcast. It was. Uh, do you feel like you're getting into it a little it's bit? It's great. Yeah, we, I mean, it's, um, we're still learning. Absolutely. So to be honest, we are learning. Yeah. So, but, but we might improve. 
We might. Um, so Leilani, you're famous from, you know, like the big star of the, the documentary <laughs> film Push. Yes. That was released a year ago. And it's still, it's actually got the US release date, 4th of September. It's, it's still halt, you know, halted in, in some countries due to this stupid virus. Yes. Uh, but we are more and more organizing uh, screenings where people get codes sent to them so they can watch it in with the, their community and then we can they can have a zoom panels we're doing that more and more so it's it's kind of uh, it's it's not totally dead not at but all. it's it's tough not at all and it's no. totally relevant to today so yeah and if you are you can you can actually watch the film online in most countries and you go to the website pushthefilm.com or you go to our company site wg film.com where you can also see other films um, and if you want to follow me on twitter yeah my name or if you want to follow leilani on twitter you should and that's leilani farah so it's it's um i would say let's keep talking to each other and leilani um thank you for for today and uh, are you going what are you are you walking your dog by the by the river again been, you don't go anywhere there. yeah do i can't go anywhere but the river <laughs> been there done that this yeah. morning yeah no it's uh, i go to i go to the sea uh, but right now we you know swedish summer is means that it can be really nice but it can also be really wet and windy and now we have the wet oh, and windy poor so you. i will go to the sea but i will get wet before I arrive to the well, water. I'm, I'm like in a heat wave. People will be surprised <laughs> to know. Ottawa, Canada, heat wave, okay. 35 degrees. Thanks, Frederick. Oh my God. <laughs> go, to, go to the river <laughs> and have a, let's, let's talk about the next chapter. Will we, we, I think we can do something cool. Absolutely. And until then, ciao, ciao. ciao.